Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. tuned to Community Radio 3CR. Time is just after 7.30 and of course it's Sunday morning and it's time for the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Pam Vardy. First up, a very good morning to Stephen Ryan from Dixoni Rare Plants. Morning Stephen. Good morning Pam and good morning everybody out there. I hope you're all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed this morning. Um, it was starting to get lighter the way down this morning. It is! <laughs> yes, Hooray! The days are lengthening. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes, this getting up in the middle of the blasted night to come down to radio, it has whiskers on it, I have to say. So if, it, if you get this sense of dawn breaking, it doesn't feel anywhere near as bad. No, it's good, isn't it? Oh, it is. It's good. And uh, yes, and it's been great gardening weather except for that wind. Oh, I'm so sick of the wind. Yeah. Hasn't it been an awful spring? It's oh, been, summer. Uh, yeah. Winter. I'll get <laughs> Hasn't it been an awful season for wind? <laughs> uh, I don't think that this was anything like our normal winters. You know, you expect spring to be sort of a bit blustery and yes. changeable, but you hope with winter, whether it's, you know, it's stays cold or not is one thing, but uh, yeah, for it to be so sort of blustery and, and changeable, oh, it's been dreadful. Gosh, yes. But anyhow, such is life. And things are happening, things are coming into bloom, things are popping up out of the ground. They're almost happening too quick for me. Yeah, well it is <laughs> hard to Because it's keep been up. so cold outside that you mm. sort of don't want to go out yeah. unless you're forced to. And yeah, well, you know, I think you need to though. Cause, you, you do, know, I because was it's all happening. Yeah, I was wandering around the garden the other day, the tulips are all poking through, um, there's oodles of stuff starting to happen in the borders and things. Mm. Uh, daffodil buds are starting oh, to swell. Oh, yes, and, I've got mine up. Yeah, well, I've got some of the um, Narcissus um, jonquillas in flower and some of the Narcissus tazettas in flower. I haven't got any proper uh, daffodil daffodils yet, but um, so I've got some of them in flower and, you know, it's just a nice time of the year. The early blossoms are, are now well and truly underway. I mean, the flowering apricots are in full swing at the moment, which are looking gorgeous. My white Daphne's in full bloom. Yeah, mine's just about in full bloom. Okay. Give it another week, I reckon, and my white Daphne will be in full flower. Okay. Uh, and hopefully scenting the whole vegetable garden, because it's planted up near the edge oh, of the nice. veggie garden. And, um, yeah, so it's a, it's a great time of the year. And, uh, yes, things are moving fast, so you need to be out there. And, I mean, 
if you haven't mulched your bulb beds now, it might almost be too late mm. because you'll damage the bulbs trying to put the mulch down. So, yes. uh, if, you know, any areas where you've got bulbs, the mulch really should have been down first so that they can push through it. Um, so, yeah, you can't let things just sort of sit and wait. No. You've got to get out there and do it. I've been out there this week. Doing a bit of winter weeding because the um, sticky weed's moving uh, um, and they're not too big yet. So if I can get stuck into it before they get too big, <laughs> uh, life will be easier. Uh, and a lot of the other self-sown stuff that I sometimes leave some of, but you always end up with too many like forget-me-nots and um, uh, some of the bigger growing species, geraniums like um, palmatum and, and what have you. They self-seed all over my garden. So if I don't get on top of them, mm. it just becomes this sort of... Well, it just gets worse. Yes. So, right. yeah, so out there weeding like mad and throwing it all in the compost heap to create good compost. But the soil's damp, so it's easy. Yep, it is. It's, it's a good time to do it. Oh, yes, and it keeps you warm. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which that is helps. A, a side benefit of getting out there and doing some serious gardening. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, so I've still got to do the fruit trees. Right. I haven't done them yet. Possibly this week, maybe. Evan was to... bemoaning he hadn't done his apple trees <laughs> last yeah. week. And I haven't done my apple trees yet. It's there not you right. go. Uh, look, I'm still going to do it. Uh, I mean, and the, the funny thing about pruning, I reckon, is that, you know, yes, you know, we, we as, as supposed experts get up here and say, yes, you should do this in June or that in July mm. or do your roses in August or whatever. But really, sometimes the time to do the pruning is when you've got the time to do the pruning. That's Absolutely. right. Absolutely. Yeah. So, anyhow, yes, enough of my prattle. <laughs> <laughs> and a very good morning to Chloe Foster. Hello, Hi, Chloe. Pam. It's very good to be here. It was so nice not driving in in torrential rain this time. I could see where I was going. <laughs> right. The that sun, and there was, you know, a bit of sunlight. Yeah. I could see where I was going down the Eastern Freeway. Yep. And I could see it, this time of year I just love, and it's going to be for the next couple of months, the clematis that grows on tops, it's like a carpet on top of the trees and all the shrubs along the Eastern Freeway yeah. is yes. just starting to flower at the oh, moment. Yes. And it's just like a big white carpet. It was just beautiful driving in. Yeah, that's so lovely. Actually, I find that uh, the big problem I have, we get to a certain point during the year and the sun then becomes a problem where it's shining it's straight right. in my eyes yes. as I'm coming down the colder. Yes. Uh, and it can be, yes, it can be a bit of an issue uh, mm. a little later. So at the moment, seeing as it's not quite up as I get down the freeway, it's quite good. And this morning they had a trial on, on the colder freeway or on the Tullamarine freeway uh, for the 100 kilometre an hour zone at last. Oh, okay. You wouldn't have known yourself. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's been, you know, they put all these extra work into it and made extra lanes and everything and we've been restricted to 80 and I'm thinking... They did all this to speed up traffic, and yet they're keeping <laughs> us at 80 kilometres an hour. Uh, so they, ha- they were having a trial this morning, and so most of the Tullamarine Freeway into the city was at 100. Wow. Uh, which was quite a shock to me, seeing as most of the time it seems to be blocked off and at 40. Um, <laughs> so anyhow, things are looking up in that respect as okay. well. Okay. So I wonder a bit earlier. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. so I won't be late. You have no excuse now. You can't be late ever again. You shouldn't have told us. Yeah, well, that's true. That's true. But anyhow, yeah, so there you go. Okay. All right, I'm going to get straight into some community announcements. Um, there's a couple of things on today, and, of course, there'll be some for the following week also. But first up today, um, Warringal Orchid Society have got their winter orchid show on today. It's at Sansava Community Centre. That's at 212 Diamond Creek Road in Greensboro. Melway's reference there is Map 11 C8. There's ample parking. There's wheelchair access. It's uh, opening 9.30 this morning, running through until 4 o'clock this afternoon. There'll obviously be orchid plants for sale. There'll be refreshments, Devonshire tea, 
orchid books, potting bark, uh, plant food, pots and accessories, orchid repotting demonstrations. Admission is $5, but entry and sales are cash only. So uh, if you remember that. So uh, I'll just repeat that address. St. Sava Community Centre, 212 Diamond Creek Road in Greensboro. And that's today, uh, 9.30 through till 4. Now, also on today is the uh, Heritage Fruit Society's grafting, grafting demonstration and fruit tree sales day um, out of Petty's Orchard. That's at 1 Moncton Road in Templestowe. They're starting 9am but finishing at noon. So uh, if you want to get going for that one um, while it's on, there'll be orchard tours as well and there is a cafe on site. Um, and I'm sure there'll be lots of... Um, grafted uh, trees uh, for sale as well. Right, uh, coming up next Tuesday, um, Friends of Burnley Gardens have uh, uh, inviting you to a talk entitled Gardens of India and Kashmir with Warwick Forge. Now, um, this is going to be looking at uh, a myriad of different examples of um, of different gardens uh, throughout India and Kashmir, not just temple gardens, but all sorts of different uh, gardens. It really sounds wonderful. And as an added incentive, um, Warwick has generously offered to donate a complimentary copy of Anne Latrail's book, Garden Voices, to the first 40 people to arrive for the talk. Goodness. So um, mm. that's, that's very generous of Warwick. Uh, now, uh, it's taking place in the main building at Burnley Campus, which, of course, is at 500 Yarra Boulevard in Richmond. 7 p.m. for drinks and nibbles, 7.30 for the talk, which will be in uh, main building, room 11. Uh, now, the cost, if you're a member of the Friends Group, $5. If you're a non-member, $15, and parking available on the boulevard. So uh, even at $15, and you're getting a copy... Yeah. Hopefully, of sounds, that book. It sounds, sounds like good value to mm. me. Very good value. Okay, coming up next weekend, 11th and 12th of August, um, Waverley Bonsai Group have got their bonsai show for 2018. 10 a.m. through till 4.30 on the Saturday, 10 till 4 on the Sunday. It's at the Mount Waverley Community Centre, corner of Stevenson's Road and Miller Crescent there in Mount Waverley. Admission, adults, uh, $5, children under 16, free. Uh, now, also, uh, August themed walk for um, Geelong Botanic Gardens, uh, run by the Friends Group, uh, will be coming up on next Sunday, the 12th of August. Two o'clock is the time. You meet your guide at the front steps of the Geelong Botanic Gardens and cost is a gold coin donation. It's entitled Flowers of the Islands. It's a walking presentation of the Geelong Botanic Gardens collection of flora from various islands such as the Canary Islands, New Caledonia and Lord Howe Island. Learn how plants have developed unique characteristics in modern times in response to changing ecological conditions in the Pacific region. Um, as I said, meet your guides at the front step at 2pm. Uh, now also uh, coming up, uh, let me see, this is one uh, a bit further away, uh, so I'll just mention this briefly and I'll remind you next week, but there's a big camellia and uh, garden show um, coming up on the weekend of 18th and 19th of August. 
again, this will be at the Mount Waverley Community Centre in Miller Crescent there in Mount Waverley. It'll open at 1 on the Saturday and run till 5, and then on the Sunday it'll run from 10 through to 4.30. It's a competitive camellia garden and floral art show, so it's also featuring a special children's section. Uh, there'll be hundreds of camellia blooms on display, along with camellia plants for sale. Entry will be $5. Children entry will be free. And as I said, I will remind listeners of that uh, next week. Okay, well, we're going to... Um, you want to say something? Sadie? I was just going to say you were talking about the week, that weekend. Um, yes. Uh, I won't be in that weekend, and that's mainly because I'm going to be away, and I don't know whether any of our listeners would be interested or not. Uh, there'd still be time if you wanted to book, but Plant Trust is having a tour down to um, uh, Camperdown and Colac oh. uh, on that weekend. Uh, so we'll be visiting the Camperdown Botanic Gardens, which is a fascinating and interesting historic botanic gardens. We'll be visiting Delviewe, one of the big gardens down in uh, that area. Uh, we'll also be visiting the um, collection holder in Colac who has our ALO collection. Uh-huh. Um, so that should be fascinating and he should have quite a lot of aloes in bloom um, so it uh, starts sort of about lunchtime on the Saturday down in Camperdown uh, we stay overnight and then we move up towards um, Colac the next day and then tootle on, on home afterwards if people are interested they could get in touch with Plant Trust um, uh, the issue is I haven't brought any of the paperwork with me of course I only thought about it when you mentioned the weekend <laughs> Right. Uh, but they could ring me at work probably and I'm quite happy to give them the phone number that they'd have to ring to book. Um, once you're booked and in place, well, then um, uh, you're given directions on where we'll meet and what have you. It's a self-drive thing, obviously. Yes. Uh, and it's not expensive. I think we charge about 30 or 40 bucks or something. Uh, um, but you'd have to pay for your own accommodation and meals and stuff, of course. Okay. Um, uh, I think lunch is included on the Saturday, at least, maybe even on the Sunday. Uh, so it'd be a good weekend out if anybody's interested in coming down to Camperdown and Colac with us. Uh, so the accommodation overnight, are you all staying in the one place? <laughs> We're hoping most will, but it depends on how many we have booked, of course. Of and, course. Uh, but we've got uh, opportunities of about two or three different places that people can stay in. And so if they get in touch with the office, they'll be given you know, the names and phone numbers of the places that um, they may well like to book into to stay overnight. And do you need to be a member? No, you don't need to be a member, although we do, you know, we do need to obviously have people book, though we need to know they're coming. Um, I think we charge an extra five or ten bucks for a non-member. And uh, we're always interested in meeting people who aren't members who might well, in fact, become members. So, of course, it's a, it's a good organisation to get involved with. Uh, we register collections all over the place. And, um, and we have these sort of events every so often. Mm. So it's, it's good fun. So how, do you have any idea of how many um, collection holders you have? Uh, look, I, I don't know exact numbers off the top of my head, but uh, we've got collection holders interstate as well as within Victoria. We've got registered collections in New South Wales and Queensland. Um, and uh, my gut feeling is we've got somewhere around about 30 to 40 registered collections, and they vary from things like crocuses and hellebores to... Um, uh, smaller eucalyptus species at the Melton Botanic Gardens. Um, uh, as I said, we've got a, an ALO collection out at um, uh, Colac. Uh, so it's a very diverse array of plant material that are registered and are held by a diverse sort of group of people because some of them are private collectors, um, 
Some are commercial people like myself. Uh, other collections are being held in uh, public botanic parks, gardens. botanic gardens, that sort of thing. So yep. it's the whole gamut um, covered by uh, by you know what sort of institute or, or individual you are and what sort of group of plants you're collecting. <coughs> and the collections don't have to necessarily... Well, in fact, very few collections could be said to be complete because plant collections are hard to have mm. as complete. Oh, you yes. only need some horrible person to come along and breed another one. Uh, and then you've <laughs> got to try and get it into your collection. Well, well then you can't, you can't get all of them into the country. Well, and start. a lot of stuff is, isn't in the country. And, yep. and the issue for us is that it's about... Preserving the things that are. Yeah. Um, so collections need to be somewhat representative of the group you're collecting. Uh, and, I mean, it could be something as vast as oaks uh, or it could be a very small select group of a genus. So you might have, well, I know we've got an Alice, we've, we've, we had, I don't know that we still have, an Alistair Clark rose collection. So it's only the roses bred by Alistair Clark. So it can be sort of much more specific. Okay. Um, and um, we're in the midst of trying to organise a slightly different um, uh, sort of guardianship uh, whereby somebody who's got a very special plant specifically, whether it be a historically important plant or a rare species or something that's remarkable for its type uh, in one way or another, uh, where they register that plant. Uh, so there will be a sort of guardianship thing as well so that we can keep tabs on some of this stuff because the amount of material that has disappeared out of cultivation in Australia in the last 50 years or so is just frightening. Mm. Uh, so many beautiful plants being lost. Um, a lot of Australian cultivars, which of course often didn't end up going overseas uh, at any point in time, uh, are being lost. And once they're lost, they're gone forever. Oh, yeah. Um, and so things that you know breeders here were doing, and it's not necessarily just about Australian plants either. I mean, over the last hundred years, we've had breeders who've specialised in canners. We've had breeders that have specialised in nerines, daffodils, you name it, um, and have had their own breeding lines and their own successes. Um, and in many cases, those plants never found it outside our shores. And if they disappear out of cultivation here, they're gone forever. Mm. And so we, you know, we'd like people to get involved in plant trust, not just from the perspective of holding a collection, which I mean is a fairly specific thing, and you've got to be up for it because um, there's, there's not a lot of paperwork involved, but you know, there's a fair bit of responsibility involved uh, when you're holding a collection of plants. Um, but we'd like people just to join to be part of the organisation, uh, get involved in our um, big plant auction, going on our tours and, and day trips, um, uh, you know, just getting involved in that respect. Uh, we're always looking for people who've got skills, you know, so anybody who's got computer skills or other skills, PR skills, all those sorts of things be useful. Um, so there's lots of ways that people could get involved mm. with Plant Trust. So you just need to join up. I've got plenty of membership brochures at the nursery if people are coming past and want to grab one um, and get involved. Um, and yeah, we see ourselves as a fairly dynamic but small organisation who are doing, I think, uh, a really important job. Mm. Excellent. So, yeah, so Plant Trust. Yep, fantastic. Okay, well, it's high time we invited our listeners to join us this morning. Now, don't forget, uh, too, that uh, if you haven't already, if you're on Facebook, uh, 3CR Gardening Show does have its own Facebook page now. We've already sent through photos of the plants we're going to be talking about this morning. So we morning. better do that then, haven't we? If <laughs> we, we will in a minute. We will in a minute. But, uh, <laughs> yes, if, if, if you haven't... Uh, if you haven't uh, 
liked uh, the page, just go to Facebook, uh, type in 3CR Gardening Show. It'll all come up. Click on like and um, you'll be able to see uh, up online uh, photos of the plants we're going to talk about this morning. So it's a, it's a wonderful tool for us because... Mm. Um, up until now, we used to just uh, be trying to describe it, hopefully fairly well, but uh, mm. obviously a photo conveys a lot more. So um, it's it a really helps. great idea. Yeah. And so it takes the, the work out of it. I mean, uh, I know people who sit at home, listen to the program, and then Google the plant name uh, as it comes up, mm. which can work. Um, but uh, if they're all up there in one place, it makes it a lot easier for everybody. Well, and the other thing is, too, of course, we've put the botanical names of all of these plants spelt correctly. Hopefully. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I no, said them through correctly. <laughs> because if you just hear a plant name and you get the spelling wrong, even though you're trying to Google it, you yeah. mightn't find it. So yeah, it um, can be difficult. This way it does at least guarantee that you'll, you should be able to find it all. And nice you have and a photo easy. to take to a nursery or something as well. Yeah. If yes, you exactly. Sure. Yes, yeah. that's great. So that number, if you'd like to join us this morning, uh, 94190155. We've got Stephen Ryan and Chloe Foster in the studio this morning, so we'd love to hear from you. Or um, if you want to have a chat on the outside line, we've got Doug there this morning. So if you'd like to have a chat to Doug, 94198377. Well, let's make a start with some of these All plants. Right. Let's let's do that. I'll start with um, this little prunus I bought in. Now, I mentioned earlier that a lot of blossoms starting to come out and flower. So there's lots of pink around at the moment and there a fair is. bit of white there as is. well. Um, but this one is commonly known as the autumn cherry, which is a bit of a misnomer in a sense, uh, but not completely because it starts flowering in autumn. Okay. So I often have flowers on this in April. Lovely. And, and flowers through winter. All the way through winter. It has sort Beautiful. of fits and starts. Mm. So you'll have a little, you might have a week where there's nothing much on it and then suddenly you'll have another spurt of flowers. At the moment it's absolutely laden in flowers mm. and looking absolutely stunning in the garden at home. It comes in a pink and a white version. Uh, the white... Uh, the pink version is known as Rosia, funnily enough. Um, and it's a very light, airy little tree. Uh, it's got much smaller leaves than most of your flowering cherries have, so it's a daintier-looking tree. Its autumn colour can be really good in its foliage, so you get nice autumn colour. And I think of most flowering cherries as barometer plants because as soon as they come into flower, the wind picks up. That's right. But <laughs> that, that obviously holds its flowers. Well, you know, if this set gets blown off, in a week or two, there's a it's, whole pile more. more. Oh, yeah, right. fantastic. So it gives great value for... for it's um, not a one-time wonder. Oh, God. Yes, and I think, you know, the bigger something grows in a garden, the more it's got to pay for its space, uh, obviously. Uh, and so something that does actually flower for just a week or two in the year and then isn't really much from that period on, a bit of a waste of space, I think. So, yeah, so Prunus subhertella autumnalis. And as I said, it does come in a pink and a white form. I do find that the growers don't tend to differentiate between the two colours. So sometimes you might well buy one that just has subhertella autumnalis and it could be the pink one. Um, It'd be a happy surprise either way, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, well, it doesn't really matter that no. much. And I mean, for the period it flowers through, there's great gaps during that period where there's nothing else for it to flower with. Uh, so it just stands there in, in isolated splendour looking absolutely gorgeous, whether it's the white one or the pink one. <laughs> and it's not a big tree, but, you know, sort of a moderate-sized flowering blossom tree. So, you know, if you sort of look around and see things like flowering apricots and other cherries and all that sort of stuff, it would fit into that sort of gamut of size. So, yeah, lovely little tree. Okay. We've already got a couple of uh, callers online. So first up we're going to Sharon in Cheltenham. Good morning, Sharon. Oh, good morning. Um, look, I have a question, um, two questions. Um, one, about the um, worm farms. Mm -hmm. um, 
if you were to, you can't just go away and leave them for a week, could you? You'd have to feed them every day? No, no, no you can. Yeah, yeah. The worms will be fine. They'll just go on a bit of a diet for a few days. You might have to give them a bit of extra food. And, and um, we went away last Christmas and my mum has a, we went over three weeks and my mum has a worm farm. She put the worm farm in the bathroom to keep it cool and gave them a little bit of extra food and I think put a few extra layers of newspaper on top of on the top of the worm farm and they were they were fine. They had a good holiday too. <laughs> oh look that's excellent. Yeah. yeah so you're not gonna be tied down to your worm farm necessarily. No. Well I've tied down for chook with chooks for years and then the dog and I thought, Oh not another <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, another yes. pet. <laughs> In this case thousands of them. <laughs> yeah. Oh dear. Look the other thing, um I was thinking of planting a mandarin tree. Right. Uh, living in Cheltenham, what variety um, would you think would be good, appropriate for the sandy soil? You're asking somebody who doesn't know that much about mandarin trees I'm having come from Masson. I'm not either. Yeah, and... Okay. Uh, Look, can I make a suggestion, Sharon, because we've actually got Graham Morrison coming in next Sunday. I thought it was soon. Yes. Yeah, yeah, he'll be on next Sunday and he is the perfect person to uh, ask that question of. So if you'd like to ring back next Sunday, I'm sure he can give you uh, names of varieties yeah. that would be suited or to sandy soil. If you if you want to know now, Digger's Nursery down at... Um, Dramana. Dramana. Dramana might be able to help. Yeah, yeah, they're probably best to call up next week with Graham. Yeah. But Graham, yeah. Graham is really a citrus expert. Yeah. So, um, and I wouldn't be planting one just yet anyway. So I think you've got ample time. I'd be hanging oh. off until the weather starts to warm up even a bit more. Oh well, that was my next question. Thank yeah. you. That. Yeah, look, most citrus trees. I like to put them in the ground when the ground's about to start warming up. Oh, I don't like to put them in the ground when it's really cold and, and miserable. Because uh, citrus don't like the cold anyway. No, that's right. So you're taking them to a sort of an extreme by growing them down here. Mm. So if we, if we wait till the spring, a uh, few warm days, ground starts to warm up, the citrus will hit the ground running. And so there's plenty of time yet to put one in. Um, so, yeah, so if you just wait till next week, Graham will tell you which one's the best one. I can't even think of any cultivar names off the top of my head. <laughs> Imperial and Japanese, but I don't know which. Yeah. I'm not a Mandarin expert, so I'm not even going to tell no, you something. No, I think Graham grows something like, you know, well, quite a few different varieties. Yeah. He's amazing with yeah, them. Well, so. I've, got, I've got one in the garden at home, and it grows, and it flowers, and it fruits, but the fruits are about the size of a kumquat, and they don't normally have much juice in them. Uh, but it looks pretty... <laughs> I have, I have an ugly one at home, and the fruit doesn't even taste good. So oh, I don't no, even know that's... the variety of it. It's a horrible mandarin tree. <laughs> oh, Why is it still there? One has to I ask. tried to kill it. It just grew back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness me. I wouldn't have admitted to that on radio. <laughs> uh. oh, well, that's good news, because I was panicking about planting it. No, 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 no you've right. got time. So um, have a chat to Graham next week. Thank you very much. Okay, bye. Bye. Right, next up we have uh, Anne in Oak Park. Good morning, Anne. Oh, good morning, panel. Actually, I'm not in Oak Park this morning. I'm phoning from the hospital, but that's a story that you don't really need to know. Okay. So um, I'm phoning up. I want a Collingwood section for my Oak Park garden, and it's going to have some black roses, black daisies or black pansies to go with the white flowers. Now, what I need to know is where can I get black roses, black daisies and black pansies from? 
I don't think a black rose exists. Well, they're not really black. They're, they're not really, really dark. black. They're yeah. dark red. You can get, yeah, like, you can get some that are really dark. Um, I would talk to somebody like um, Graham Sargent at Silky Garden Rose Nursery as far as roses are concerned. I mean, they'd be... And generally speaking, it's specialist growers that you're best to talk to about things like that. So well, Graham Sargent would be an ideal person to talk to about a dark rose. Is there the, the Dahlia Society to get hold of a black dahlia? That'd probably yeah, be the Dahlia rare. Society. Yeah, there are some, again, some dahlias that are such dark, reddy, burgundy colours that they could be seen as black. Um, uh, there's a couple of other plants I'll throw into the mix for you too. There's um, some black car- uh, black calla lilies uh, and uh, and black arum lilies uh, that could be worthwhile considering to add if you're looking for something in the in the black tones because white obviously is going to be simple enough. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but things that have a blackish flower can't be much more difficult to get. Um, and certainly the really dark pansies. I mean, they're just going to be in punnets somewhere. I mean, they're not going to be somewhere you'd necessarily find them specifically I wouldn't have thought but you know yeah, one of the major garden centres or whatever source some pansy <coughs> seeds from somewhere as well and grew yeah. them now, what was the name of the lilies dear? Callas C-A-L-L-A and Arum's A-R-U-M so Calla and, and Arum lilies <coughs> both have their virtual black forms so even right. if you spoke to your local nursery and asked if they could order some in yeah. for you? Yeah, that's a possibility. The uh, local nursery, the nearest one, I think, is Poynton's in Essendon. Ah, yeah. yeah well, Poynton's well, is a good nursery. They are very good, so they would probably get them in for you. Mm. Right, but I can only try now. I've written a, a beautiful poem. It's called Requiem to a Tree. Would you like me to bring it into 3CR one day and you can put it up on your wall for what a nice the idea. people to read? Post in a copy to us. That I would be great, Anne. That. Yeah, that would be great. P.O. Okay. Box, PO Box 1277 Collingwood 3066. Okay, I'll do that. And thank you for your wonderful program. Okay, thanks, Anne, and all the best. Bye. Bye. If you'd like to uh, give us a call this morning, we'd love to hear from you. We're running through until 9.15, so plenty of time to jump on the phone. The number to speak to the team on air, 94190155, or to speak to Doug on the outside line, Nine four one nine eight three double seven. Stephen, next plant. Oh, which one will I go for? Uh, why not the euphorbia? Um, euphorbias are a very useful group of garden plants, and most people are aware of that. I mean, many of them are, uh, are, are quite good at volunteering self-sown seedlings, so <laughs> you may have to selectively keep some and pull some out if you plant some of the different euphorbias. Uh, and the one I brought in today is a semi-ground covery one called uh, Euphorbia rigida. And Rigida doesn't seem to be a particularly good name for it. I can think of some of the succulent euphorbias that deserve that name far more than this one does because it does tend to sort of sprawl out sideways. Uh, has grey-green foliage that runs up the stems in a very nice textural way. And at this time of the year, it's getting chartreuse uh, heads of flowers um, at the ends of each stem. And when the flowers finish, they tend to go a sort of a coppery, orangey colour, uh, which is quite pleasant. And then after that point, you cut the flowered stems right back to the base and you've got the new shoots coming. Uh, I find this one self-seeds itself around the outside of my rock garden in the gravel path. 
Uh, and so I just pull out the ones that are coming up in the wrong spots and leave the others, and they just sort of nestle in against the edge of the path. Um, I never have to water it. Uh, I pull out old and redundant plants. I pull out seedlings that come up where I don't want them. Um, and it just makes a wonderful uh, textural quality plant uh, in a gravel path. So do you, do you suit up when you do you, do they affect your skin? Uh, I try not to get it all over me, and that was actually going to be my next point is just yeah. to make sure people are aware that euphorbia sap can be a real problem for some people. It's certainly something you want to avoid getting in your eye. Yeah, I've at done least that. wear glasses. Yeah, I've done uh, it too. Yeah, and it is so painful, it stings, isn't it? It just stings, and it doesn't go away. <laughs> no, some things, you know, you get that immediate sting and then it's all gone. Yeah. But the euphorbia, when it gets in your eye, takes ages to right. get rid of it. So it's a very, very uncomfortable thing to have happen. Yes. So be careful with any of you euphorbias uh, if you're having, well, nearly all of them you end up having to prune in one form or another at some stage. So I would definitely recommend wearing gloves, long sleeve shirts, uh, and um, if you don't already wear glasses, at least pair, put a pair of goggles on or something yep. like that just mm. to be on the safe side because what happens is you're cutting and there's stuff going everywhere and there's sap dripping all over mm. the place and it's so easy to pick up a piece and fling it in the air and you end up with sap <laughs> oh. going up in a big arc and then it's all too late. Yeah, so you want well-covered goggles because that's what I've done. I've just had sunglasses on yeah. before and they've gone right oh, up the side of the sun. Yeah. Oh. Uh, yes. yes, no, so euphorbias are a plant to treat with some caution um, and certainly some respect, uh, but they're great plants in the garden. I mean, I do have a great soft spot for green coloured flowers. I think they always make an interesting uh, effect in the garden. And some of these smaller euphorbias are just such easygoing plants. I mean, it doesn't care how hot and dry it gets in the summer. They seem to just sort of bounce through it. And uh, uh, as long as the area is well drained for most euphorbias, that seems to be about the only thing that they really must have. And even then, having said that, there are some euphorbias that like to grow in bogs. So you can get euphorbias that will grow into virtual small trees, Mm. down to tiny little plants. I mean, that petty spurge stuff that you keep pulling out of your garden beds is yet another euphorbia. Mm. Uh, Grows wild through Wilson's Prom and the Victoria Coastline. Yes, yes, it's it's one of those plants that's just iniquitous. It doesn't matter where you <laughs> yeah. are, you seem to have petty spurge growing. It just um, keeps on giving. Yeah, it does, <laughs> and apparently it's quite good for wart removal, but apart oh, from right. that, yeah, that, that's what I've always oh, been Oh, burn, t- if it burns your eyes, it'd burn a wart, wouldn't it? Yeah, well, that's, you know, I've, I've, you know everybody says, oh, but you know, euphorbias are good to get rid of warts. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure whether that's medical advice I should be handing out, but anyhow. Yeah. Uh, Disclaimer. Yes, Disclaimer, yeah. Uh, but I think they're great plants. I do like the euphorbias, and I have a, a range of different ones in the garden at home. And certainly Rigida um, is one of the more uh, dramatic-looking dwarf ones, uh, and so definitely worth planting. I used to work at a wholesale nursery, and we propagated bazillions of euphorbias. Yeah. And one thing, after a couple of years of everyone whinging about the smell of the sap and you know sticky sap, we realised that if we hosed the, the plants before we, they came in, before we pruned them, mm-hmm. the sap... Um, wasn't as strong. It's, it must have watered it. It watered it down. Yeah. And while the plant was wet, um, and we cut them, I think the water that was on the plant helped water the sap down and uh, made it less yeah. sticky. It sort of yeah, that um, could be true. Dilutes it almost. Yeah. Well, I know um, when I picked this last night, there was sap dripping everywhere. Yeah. And it was just disgusting. And I put it in water. Yeah. Uh, to keep it standing to get it down here this morning, of course. Yeah. Uh, and now the bottoms of the stems have completely it's dried off. Yeah. So, so I mean, if you if you pruning them out in the garden you could hose them first i mean it's a messy job to prune euphorbia anyway so, so getting well wet, wet would be better than would be better than getting sap all over you absolutely yeah, yeah. yeah. no that's, that's it, a good it's somehow tip. it dilutes it a little bit yeah, yeah. oh well that's worth worthwhile knowing but i think they're a great group of plants and i won't stop growing them just because you know 
there are certain issues with it. You know, people still don't stop swimming and there's sharks out there. So <laughs> people still plant roses and they prick you. <laughs> yes, and, and sometimes you get nasty reactions to that as yeah. well. You know, I've had people have awful um, reactions to getting a rose thorn embedded. Um, oh, yes. And it can they can go, really fester. Oh, yes, it can be nasty. Mm. Yeah, so gardening is sometimes a risky pursuit. But it is. It's worth it. <laughs> <laughs> At least I think it's worth it anyway. So Euphorbia rigida. So look out for it. It's, a, it's around the trade. You can buy it. Um, there's a few wholesalers that are doing it in six-inch pots. Uh, and once you've got one, as long as you let it go to seed, um, you're bound to get plenty of seedlings coming up around. So it's one of those plants you probably always have, mm. even though the individuals don't last for oodles of years. You know, three or four years is generally enough, and mm. after that they start looking a bit scruffy. Uh, but in the meantime, I've always got seedlings coming up. And I actually think self-sown seedlings are really good because they often come up where you wouldn't get something in. Mm. You know, so they, they soften the edges of paths or they'll come up between two rocks or they'll, they'll come up somewhere where you'd never get a plant in no matter how hard you try. And it just gives you that natural sort of look yeah, of the garden, garden yes, wild. Exactly. And Which is a bit of a shame if you've got white gravel box hedging and yes. standard iceberg roses. But you but probably <laughs> wouldn't have a euphorbia rigida. <laughs> yeah, probably not. Probably not. So, yes, yeah, so I think they're great little plants. Excellent. I'll just give out that number again. If you'd like to uh, join us this morning, we'd love to hear from you, 94190155, to have a chat with Stephen or Chloe. Or if you'd like to have a chat with Doug on the outside line, 94198377. Stephen, next one. All right, well, I might talk about cyclamen or cyclamen, depending on what school you went to. Um, I think they're the most indispensable group of little plants. I just love them. There's different species that will flower nearly all year round. So there's summer ones, winter ones, autumn ones and spring ones. Uh, I bought down one this morning that is obviously of the winter persuasion. Um, Cyclamen coom, which is spelt C-O-U-M. Uh, and there's lots of debate as to what that species name actually means. There's some thought that it may have been a uh, corruption of an island name in the Mediterranean, uh, the island of Kos. Um, but nobody's really quite sure where the name Coombe came from. Anyhow, it's a chirpy little winter flowering species. And the plant I bought in this morning is one of the pewter leafed forms. So most cyclamen have sort of marbled leaves. So you get mm. sort of white variegated markings in them, often rather intricate and really pretty. Uh, this one's one called Sterling Silver, uh, which uh, has very silvery white leaves. And the plant I bought in has got white flowers on it as well, which is rather pleasant. Uh, but Sterling Silver will throw pink flowered versions as well. And because these are raised from seed, you, you don't have proper clones, really, because they're... They might all look similar, but they're not identical plants. So yep. you do get a bit of diversity. Uh, so it gets little rounded, chubby flowers that sort of look like helicopter propellers. Um, and uh, they'll self-seed gratifyingly once you've got them going in the garden. And no matter how little your garden is, you should have at least three hectares of these. <laughs> <laughs> is it always that flat? They're very flat in they're the pot. They're very flat, aren't they? Yeah. They're almost yeah. like a water lily leaf. Yeah. yeah. Um, Cyclamen coom does tend to stay fairly flat to the ground. It doesn't often lift itself off the ground at all. Okay. Other species do. So it yeah. depends on which one you're planting as to how they, they do this. But, yes, this one's leaves sit very flat to the ground. Mm. Um, and the flowers are not terribly tall. They're only a few centimetres above the ground. But they're quite open. They're, yeah. they're very pretty. Oh, it is. It's a charming plant. And uh, actually, some uh, one of the people that 
uh, I follow on Facebook put up a photo of Cyclamen hedrifolium and he's in England so it's just starting to flower there now um, and said there can't be anything nicer than Cyclamen hedrifolium and I got back to him and said except for all the other ones because <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think there's such a thing as an ugly one um, and you can have a lot of fun collecting them I mean there's only sort of mid-twenties number of species in the world so it's not a huge genus in fact there's a collection for somebody mm. uh, but there's lots of different leaf permutations within each species so you can have a lot of fun collecting the different sort of leaf patterns and forms and things as well as the different species themselves and some of them are dead easy Uh, there's one or two that are quite difficult so there's always something there for the challenge that some people like to take on including me Um, i'm surprised there's nobody out we haven't got we haven't got a collection isn't that interesting? Uh, oh. It is a genus that I think, you know, even in a small terrace house you could hold a national collection exactly. of cyclamen because <laughs> it's not that big a genus. The plants themselves are quite small. Uh, so you could actually have a, a collection in sort of the size of a coffee table um, virtually. I didn't realise there wasn't that many... Yeah, somewhere some about mid twenties oh, species. Right. I mean, like all other groups of plants, it's var- it varies a little bit depending on who's doing the genetics. Mm. Um, I saw a beautiful photo of a cyclamen again on Facebook or Twitter or somebody or another that was had just won a prize in a flower show somewhere uh, in England, and they said cyclamen maritimum, and I went, "What? I've never heard of maritimum." <laughs> Somebody's got their wires crossed here, so I got. Again, I'm a great one for getting back to people if I see something that I have no idea what they're talking about. So I got back to this person and said, I've never heard of Maritimum. It's not in the $150 book I bought on the genus um, that's comparatively new um, uh, in publication. Uh, What on earth are we talking about? And he got back to say, oh, they've decided that a specific group of Cyclamen graecum is genetically different enough to have a species name. So they've put it up as cyclamen maritimum. Oh, there you go. And so apparently we have a new cyclamen species that isn't even in the latest book. Um, so it is a small genus of plants uh, and you can have a lot of fun with it. And, and I mean, it's a very collectible group. And because it pays its way so well, each species will flower for probably two to three months. And you have species that can carry you right through the year, basically. Um, and, you know, and there's lots of rarities out there. I mean, there's one that was discovered in the wild, I think, in the mid-1980s, which still hasn't come into cultivation properly. I think the only place that they're growing it is at the Uppsala uh, Botanic Gardens in Sweden because the oh. botanist who found the species took it back there. And that Cyclamen somaliensis from Somalia, which is growing in a completely isolated area away from the genus that nobody would have expected to find one there. Right. And I've only seen pictures of it, obviously. Uh, it doesn't look like an overly impressive... Well, it's a beautiful cyclamen, but it doesn't look like anything particularly bizarre and different uh, to the genus, but it's come from an area that's completely unexpected. Mm. So, yeah, it's a great group of plants. Yeah, spread. So, yes, I, I love them, and I watch for them to come up each year, and I follow the seasons through with the different species, and uh, some of them are beautifully scented, by the way. There's some really good perfumed ones. There's one out at the moment called Cyclamen Sudibericum, uh, which has a wonderful spicy perfume to it. The only problem with the scented ones is if they're not in a pot up on the barbecue table... You, you look pretty silly prostrate on the ground <laughs> trying to smell your cyclamen, and then it's hard to get up, I've noticed. Um, so there you go. So cyclamen coom this morning. Okay, excellent. All right, let's go to our next lot of callers. Uh, Peter next is up in Rye. Good morning, Peter. Good morning. Go Enjoy ahead. your show. It's the first time I've called. Oh, well done. Welcome. Uh, I have uh, some citrus in, in large pots because I only have a small courtyard garden, but the 
Um, Mandarin tree, the leaves are curling over. I'm mm. just wondering if it's perhaps something that's missing in the soil. Could be a few things. Is, have you have you dug around in the pot to see what the soil if the soil is too wet or too dry? Yes, I think that's okay. There's I, 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 I changed it all about six months ago okay. and repotted it. Mm-hmm. There's um, citrus leaf miner that um, can make the leaves curl over. If you have a closer look to the on the leaf, there there's this teeny tiny little. Um, caterpillar leaf miner that burrows under the um, the top layer of leaves and it can make them curl under as well. Mm, it's very predominant. It's like two thirds of the leaves. Yeah, there's a lot of these little leaf miners that we'll get onto. That we'll get onto. They would give you sort of like a little um, tunnel effect on the leaves, wouldn't you? You'd yeah, see and the leaf does curl over, but mm. you do get. Um, yeah, it looks like a little bit of a tunnel. Yeah, so be worthwhile looking at, <coughs> looking out. Have for a that. really close look at the leaves. What would you do with it though? Because I mean, you'd almost need a systemic spray. Yeah, that's you? the thing. It's 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 a time of year. Mm. It's sort of around about this um, autumn time and this time of year that they can um, that they'll sort of burrow in, uh, and they really like new growth as well. So sometimes yeah. you have to pick the time of year when if you are if you do prune it you got to pick the time of year but otherwise it's that's not something that will totally kill the plant mm. um, it can what? affect your new growth a little bit but it's not a major problem if it is that could i spray it with something or should i do oh uh, you could spray it with eco oil or a white oil um yep. which would um discourage any other um, any other leaf miners from coming in but what you've already got there you might you, if you really want to kill some time you can just stand and stand there and um, and squash the little leaf miners because they do they'll they'll burrow on the, on the um, top layer of the leaf and then they um, go into they'll, they'll sort of form a little chrysalis um, and they'll they'll curl the edge of the leaf over and form that little chrysalis um, in their little leaf nook that it's made so you can squash that as well right okay but yeah if you're going to use a systemic spray leaf miner. um then you're putting a toxin into your mandarin tree yeah and it's a food plant yeah, yeah i wouldn't want to eat it it so wouldn't technically your systemic wouldn't affect the fruit yeah technically but it's but not it's not something that you really want to be doing no no if um, i want sprayed fruit i can go to the greengrocer yeah <laughs> yeah it, yeah check check the soil i mean the soil Citrus do suffer if they're in a pot. If they're too wet down the bottom, that they can suffer, and the the, the leaves can um, curl over, uh, yep. and, and it might look dry or it might look wet. So check the if you can um, dig around the top of the pot. But if you can dig further and see what's happening further down, because it, yep. it could be too wet down the bottom of the pot, and you don't know it if the drainage isn't that great. Okay, thanks very much. Okay. Thank you. Bye. All right, next up, let me see, we have uh, Adam who's out in Heathmont. Good morning, Adam. Good morning, all. Um, I'm, just, I'm looking to grow a hedge at the front of my house and um, Stephen was talking about laurel recently mm-hmm. um, and I was just wondering what the really common, in England, the really common laurel, what, what that's called because it's, I don't think it's Portuguese laurel. No, it's not. It's, uh, it's cherry laurel um, yeah. and its botanical name is Prunus laurocerasus. 
And can you get that in Australia? Or oh, yeah. Uh, well, it's not. It's frowned on a bit because it can get a bit weedy, but I don't think it's actually on any weed lists per se. Um, mm-hmm. And certainly it was a traditional uh, hedging plant up around my area, so up around Mount Macedon there's lots of yep. old laurel hedges up there, some of which have been let go feral and they're sort of, 20 feet high and 20 feet wide. Um, <laughs> but if it is pruned appropriately, it can make a really good hedge. The, my only draw, uh, sort of thing about large-leafed hedges like laurel or fatinia or any of those things, if you're trimming them uh, with hedge shears or a, or a powered hedge trimmer, you're cutting through foliage all the time. And yeah. if you've got to be in close uh, proximity to the hedge. It always looks scruffy on the edges when you when you pruned it. Mm. Uh, smaller leafed hedges tend not to have that problem so much. It's not so obvious. So if it's a hedge that you're going to be in close proximity to regularly, um, believe it or not, I've got a laurel hedge in my garden at home, which is a it's a circle with just a gap through it, and you can walk in, and there's it's sort of a drop down area inside which I've got a seat on that you can hide in when the dishes need doing. <laughs> um, and because it's a tiny little area, and it's got this big leaf laurel all around it. It's it's got this sort of really sort of womb-like enclosing feel. But I actually trim that hedge with a pair of secateurs. Yeah. Because I don't want yeah. all the leaves to be cut through. And it takes me about half a day to do this hedge going clip, clip, clip with a pair of secateurs. It looks so much nicer, though. It does. It looks so much better. Uh, it never, I never get quite that sharp look mm. that you get by yeah. trimming properly with a, a, a hedge trimmer or whatever. Um, but... It's so much nicer, and because if I do sit there hiding from the dishes, uh, I want to be able to look at a nice hedge. Is there often less branches because the leaves are larger, the branches are larger, yeah, and that as opposed to, be... to the smaller foliage hedges where there's lots of little branches? Yeah, so it's, it's probably not as much pruning It's not as comparison. much pruning yeah, in yeah. comparison, so it's easier. And, and I took that idea on from when I was a, when I'd finished my apprenticeship you know, many decades ago. Uh, I went on a scholarship trip to England and I worked in a parks and gardens set up in Brighton in England and they had a, a rose garden, uh, Preston Park. And around the rose garden, they had yew hedges and they had alcoves in each of the yew hedges. And in each alcove, they had a bay tree planted that they trimmed into a sort of egg shape. Mm. And those bay trees were done with secateurs. Mm. Um, so each bay tree was clipped with secateurs so you didn't cut through the leaves. Uh, and I saw that as pretty high-end horticulture to be doing that in a public park. Uh, I went back 20 years later and, of course, Margaret Thatcher in the meantime had wreaked havoc with horticulture <laughs> in England. Uh, and not only were they trimmed with blunt um, hedge trimmers, uh, but they were full of bindweed and, 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 and mulched with dog poo. Uh, so oh, it was yeah. just oh. awful. It was just That's dreadful. Um, but, um, you know, so that's, if you were going to use a laurel hedge, you've got to keep that in mind. So if it's, yeah. you know, if it's a hedge that you're looking at from a distance, it doesn't really matter. Get out there with the um, hedge shears or whatever. But close quarter hedges, big lift things can be an issue. And is it fairly slow growing? Uh, look, it'll take a while to get its roots down, but once it gets established, it easily puts on about um, 20 to 30 centimetres a year, uh, which can actually be a little bit too vigorous as far as I'm concerned when it comes to hedges because I mm. want to be able to trim a hedge once a year. Mm. And if it grows fairly vigorously, then obviously you've got to do it more so. And so it's probably a couple of, years, a couple of times a year that you'd need to prune. Yeah, well, the other thing I was thinking of is a ficus. It's just the, the lush green colour that I like, but with a ficus, I understand they have sort of invasive roots. So would they be pulling up well, concrete they, and things? Uh, well, it depends on how far away from the concrete you're going to plant them. Um, well, like not, not, not very far because the, the footpath and then... Um, 
the hedge about a metre away from the foot. Right. How long are you anticipating living? Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> it mean, might not be your problem. Yeah, but that's what I was. That, that's where I was going. Yeah. I mean, it would take some years for ficus to start being any sort of issue, and it may be quite yeah. a long time. Um, and if the path itself has been laid correctly in the first place, it might be twenty or thirty years or more before the ficus would cause you any grief. What about drain drainage pipes? Well, as long as they're properly sealed, the ficus yeah. shouldn't be a problem. It's it's a matter of the the infrastructure itself is normally to blame more so than the plant. So if people whinge yeah. about their paths or their drains getting blocked or, or their foundations being compromised by tree roots or whatever, it's normally the fact that it wasn't built properly in the first place, more so than the tree's fault. Uh, so I'm always one, funnily enough, mm. to stand up for the trees. Um, and also in a, in a home garden setting, you've got to consider the fact that when you're gone, somebody else will come in, they'll hate whatever you've done, they'll pull it all out, start again. Um, it just seems so to be the way be 20 years before it... I would say it would be easily 15 to 20 years before you could even start having a real problem with the ficus, even at sort of less than a metre away from a concrete path. Okay. Ficus hillii, which is a really nice... it's got a good leaf, that hedge. one. It's got a beautiful leaf, and mm. it, uh, the roots aren't as invasive as the other as other ficus species. Mm. Yeah, oh, so, okay. But you'd still need to be aware that ficus yeah. long-term in any of the species probably could cause you some issues. But, um, you know, it is a matter of, you know, how long you anticipate being where you are. I mean, if it does the job you want for the time you want, somebody else will come along and cut it all down, poison it, and start from scratch again anyway. So yeah. does it really matter? And, I mean, the issue with the laurel is... One has to say, where do you get it? Uh, there's not many people growing it. Uh, I have sourced it a couple of times through one or two wholesalers over the years for people who've wanted hedges, but it hasn't, easy, hasn't been easy to get. Um, I mean, I don't find it particularly hard to propagate, but if I was growing it for somebody, I'd need at least 12 to 18 months to get it up to a saleable size, mm. uh, and yeah. particularly in quantity, because as a hedge, you're going to need more than one or two. Um, so, yes, yeah, so, so the issue could be, are you going to be able to source it? Yeah, well, that's the thing. I, I can, Portuguese laurel seems to be everywhere, um, yeah. and the japonica seems to be everywhere, but um, well, I haven't even found cherry laurel. So. Yeah, and the Portuguese laurel, although it has quite a pretty leaf, it worries me a bit because it's very prone to red spider mite. Okay, yeah, mm. there's a much darker leaf as well. I like yeah. the sort of the lush green when I was in England. And the, the yeah, it is. It's a lovely shiny green. Mm. In fact, they mm. use cherry laurel a lot in floral work because of its lovely shiny, rich green leaf. And uh, they used to use it a lot for wreath work for funerals and things as well because uh, it would last for 24 hours, two days before it started to wilt and look miserable if you were using it in something that didn't have water with it. So yeah. it was quite a popular plant for that. And uh, they used to grow a lot of it up in the Dandenongs to sell to the florist trade. Okay, yeah. yeah no, it's nice-looking nice stuff, but, yeah, it's probably a bit slow-growing as well for me. I just want it within... Could I just throw in a, in a suggestion here, uh, mm. which could be a good compromise? I mean, it hasn't got the big leaves you're looking for, and you wouldn't necessarily trim it like a hedge, but some of the clumping bamboos. Okay, uh, there's uh, Fargesias, which are Himalayan clumping bamboos, and you can get some that only grow to a couple of metres tall up to ones that grow to about three or four metres tall. Uh, most of them are reasonably vertical in their form, and you just have to snip off bits that came out over the path, really, and then just keep it back that way. Uh, it rustles in the wind. Uh, it's a nice uh, mid-green. It's not that really dark, sombre green of a camellia or something like that. Yeah. And, and they're available. And the, the roots aren't going to... No. Take off and go everywhere. No, no, because it's clumping. Okay, right. It's yep. not running. There are two types of bamboo, those that yeah, clump okay. and those that run. If you buy a clumping bamboo, then they stay put, and the clump will only grow as big 
as the height the bamboo requires because it's about it's about the diameter of the stems in the clump. Yep. So okay. if it's a 30-metre bamboo, it's going to have you know stems that are 8, eight centimetres wide or more, and so the clump has to be big just by the yeah. pure size of the, the stems. Um, so if it's a smaller bamboo, then the clump at the base will be smaller as well. I'll have a look at that one. Yeah. yeah. Could be worth looking at. So Fargesia is the genus I'd, I'd probably recommend you go towards. Better spell that, Stephen. Uh, F-A-R-G-E-S-I-A. Oh, as it says, yeah. Yeah, yeah more or less as <laughs> yeah. it's pronounced. Yes. Yeah. yeah, so Fargesia. Um, and as I said, there's a range of species uh, about. Um, and so, and the other good thing about bamboo, I guess, is that because it has a finite height, you can sort of pick one that's going to grow to the height you want. You don't have to then control it from getting bigger. Yes, yeah, okay. So there is that side of it as well. Okay, excellent. Thanks. I'll have a look at that. Okay. All right, cheers. Bye. Bye. If you'd like to join us this morning, we'd love to hear from you. That number is 94190155 to speak to Stephen and Chloe. Or if you'd like to have a chat to Doug on the outside line, 94198377. Stephen, you've had a query. Yes, from the outside line, uh, Michael from Forest Hill uh, is pointing out that old plants, particularly camellias, are being lost due to developments in his area, and that's happening all over the leafy suburbs Certainly of Melbourne. Is. Um, what can be done by the public to help preserve these these lines of plants? Well, obviously you can take cuttings. Um, Smaller plants can be moved. I mean, camellias actually at any size can be moved if you've got the wherewithal to do it. Mm. Um, they're actually quite good that way. Um, and I might add, though, if there's something in an old garden uh, that looks to be particularly unusual, I mean, with camellias, there's the pink one, white one, and red one sort of thing. So, you know, if there's something that looks particularly different, then um, there is an organisation called Camellia Arc. No idea how to get in, t- in touch with them off the top of my head, but I'm, I know they do have web presence and all that sort of thing. They're a Sydney-based organisation, but they have members all over the country, and their main claim is that they're trying to protect and preserve camellia cultivars and species. Okay. And so certainly from the point of view of camellias, if you think you found something really unique and different, uh, I would get in touch with um, Camellia Arc and Dr Stephen... Oh, dear... Can't remember his surname now. He's a very enthusiastic man uh, who's the president. Um, he'll talk the leg off you more than I would. Uh, and uh, if he thinks he's on to a rare species somewhere, he will put a lot of time and effort into it. Uh, so take a photo. and Take a photo of the flowers, mm-hmm. get in touch with Camellia Arc, show them, and they'll get back to you, I hope, and say, well, that one's common, it's all right, it's out in the trade, or, or that one looks unusual, we'd like to have a look at it. Um, there's a couple of very old camellias around, um, well, there's one in Victoria out sort of towards where Merrill Johnson is in one of the little towns out there um, uh, that's historically extremely important and it's in the front of an old house over there and they've put a lot of effort into protecting that tree and making sure the owners of the house know that they've got something that's precious and okay. all that sort of stuff. So yep. they're, they're doing quite a good job, Camellia Arc. So, and they are also members of Plant Trust, funnily enough, so we have a certain synergy going on there. So, um, yeah, there you go. Excellent. I hope that helps. Yep. Okay. Uh, we'll go to our next caller, and we have uh, Ellie online in Armadale. Good morning, Ellie. Oh, good morning. Um, I uh, want to move a um, Mertus communis, mm-hmm. um, or Luma communis. I'm not sure which is right at the moment. Um, it's, I've, it's a young one. I've clipped it into a cloud tree, mm-hmm. uh, and I want to give it to a friend. 
and I wondered if um, he's into bonsai, mm. and I wondered if we could sort of treat it as a as a large bonsai and sort of clip its roots and. Uh, you could. There's no reason why a myrtle wouldn't prune like that. Uh, I mean, it's not the easiest plant in the world to shift because it doesn't actually dig out of the ground, I find, uh, with a nice tight root ball. So right. it, there will be a certain risk involved in, in lifting it and what have you. Uh, but if you are going to root prune it in any large way, you're going to have to top prune it as well, obviously, like you do with any bonsai plant. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there's no real reason why it shouldn't work. So yeah. I, I'd be certainly worth, I think it would be worthwhile having a crack at. And once it gets settled down into the life of a bonsai plant, well, then it's just a matter of regular maintenance. So you're not actually decapitating it in the same way as you no, might have to to no. get it out of the ground the first time round. Mm. Well, you see, the, the house and the garden are going to be demolished. Mm. Right. Mm. Um, so I'm, uh, I'm looking for homes for things. Yep. Well, you've got Might nothing to lose. Anyway. I'd, I'd, I'd yeah. really give yeah. it a try. And look, it is dependent, and it goes for anything in gardens. I mean, if gardens are going to be destroyed or whatever and there's plants in the gardens, one, you've got to decide whether the plant is worth an attempt, yeah. uh, either because it's rare and hard to get or because it's a particularly nice specimen or whatever. And then you've got to rationalise the amount of time and effort that's going to be in digging it up removing it with the slight risk of losing it always in the back of your mind. And yeah. so you've got to say to yourself, all right, is it worth it? Or can I go out and buy a young one, uh, start again, uh, and and that may or may not be, well, certainly an easier option and sometimes a less expensive one because there's less involved in buying a young plant, yeah. uh, particularly if you take your time into consideration. Um, so you just need to rationalise these things before you have a crack at it. But you've got little to lose if you're not worried too much about the time and effort involved. Yeah, well, uh, there's nothing to lose, really, because uh, if we don't try to move it, yes. it'll, it'll be, it'll be gone anyway. Yeah, yes, it will be yes. gone anyway. So, yes, I think it's certainly worth a crack. Um, yeah. As far as I know at the moment, it is still Mertus uh, uh, communis, by the way. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. yeah, it was the South American ones that got thrown over into Luma. Right, okay. And that one's, of course, the common European myrtle, so, yes. So I think it gets to keep the name. Actually, it's it's a great tree for cloud pruning. Yeah, oh yes, that sort of thing would be fabulous for for cloud pruning. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you very much for that. That's very helpful. Okay. Well, good luck with it. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Chloe, let's have a chat about yeah. something you brought in this morning. Well, I, bought I bought a stick. I bought a stick yes. in. <laughs> <laughs> I was at um, Springvale Cemetery during the week, and they showed me. They pointed out this plant, and they said. It's called a Japanese liquid amber. One's died. We can't find any more of them. And I was like, I'm in with Stephen this Uh-oh. Sunday. <laughs> He's a rare plant expert. I reckon it's probably just a stock standard liquid amber. Can I have a look and at I've this? And I've Googled... I googled Japanese liquid amber, liquid amber japonica, mm. and nothing has come up. There's a liquid amber orientalis, which is from originates from Turkey. Turkey, yeah. The normal liquid amber styraciflua, is that yes. how you pronounce it? Yeah. Originates in the Americas. Yeah. There is a Taiwanese one. Is there? Yeah. Ah. Uh, liquid you, amber formosa. Formosa. Yes. Okay. Uh, and it's Does an Asian that, one. Do you know what it looks like? Have you ever well, seen one? Well, y- yes. I ca- in fact, I sell it. Uh, there you go. The issue I have, though, this isn't far enough advanced from the point of being a bare stick. Yeah, well, it is a it stick. Is, yes, it is a stick. <laughs> it has some growth buds on yeah, it. Yeah, it looks like there's some little open. flowers. Yeah, and it's got some little flowers forming. Mm. But at this point in time, I wouldn't like to 
bank on it being Formosa, but Formosa has a, a, a larger leaf than liquid amber styraciflua. Mm-hmm. It tends to have a lovely coppery tinge to the leaves when they first come out in the spring. Oh, yeah. It does go good autumn colours, but some forms of it are almost evergreen. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, and... Um, um, they're a conical shape, this tree. Yeah, look, they're probably nearly about all four metres. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, even Orientalis, which has a much smaller leaf mm. and is a much twiggier tree, it's still o- its overall outline tends to yeah. still be that sort of conical habit while they're young. Yeah. I mean, really old liquid ambers start to sort of spread out and make broad, spready trees. Um, but it could be liquid amber formosa mm. or even formosa monticola. There's actually two forms of it. That, and they're in Australia. They're available. Not many nurseries stock them. I'm sure I've got some up at work. Um, uh, and so if they're interested and it is the one, then they probably need to have a chat to me about it at some stage. Yeah, I think one of them's died and they, it's in a little area and they want to replace it. Yeah. They haven't been able to find it because the nurseryman 20 years ago Ruid or something like that. Uh, and yeah. yeah, this, this sort of thing happens. Uh, but I have a grower that, do, that does specialise a bit in liquid ambers and he has quite a range of different styraciflua hybrids and forms uh, as well as the other species. Uh, so I can certainly get Formosa if it is in fact what we're talking about. Well, but, I'll keep an eye on it. But your stick see. is not helpful enough. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, just wanna, to I wanted to test you. I know yeah. you're good. I yeah. wanted to test you. <laughs> yeah. But it could be. It could be the Oriental liquid amber. Yeah. Um, Formosa. Formosa. Anyway, yeah. I'll tell them and uh, and pass on your details yeah. see what happens. Yeah, that's probably the way to go. Yeah. Okay. Would you like to go on to one of my next Yes, let's go little to something treasures? we know what it is. <laughs> yeah, something yeah. with green leaves yeah. on. Yes. Yeah. These <laughs> ones have uh, labels in them, so that's all right. Um, the gro- Cranbourne Growing Friends, Cranbourne Gardens Growing Friends had their plant sale two weekends ago and um, I spent a fair bit of money and I still Good. haven't planted them all yet. <laughs> so I bought them a couple in this morning. I bought in two. Veronica's. Um, Veronica is also known as Dewentias. They've been called Parahebes oh, at some God, point. Oh, God, yes. I was going to say, do you know where they are now? I think they're in Veronica at the moment. Yeah, because Veronica's been put back as a big genus again. I know yeah. that all of the New Zealand hebes have been thrown back into Veronica. They, much they, could, even be, they could even be in Parahebe. Yeah. I don't know. But the nursery trade are treating them as Veronica's, and yeah. they'll have, often have um, Dewentia in brackets afterwards. Yeah. Um, so I bought in two species of Veronica's. The first they one... They don't look anything like each other. No, they don't. And that's what I love about them. <laughs> They're probably like not even meant to be in the same genus. Anyway, um, the first one I love, it's a, gra- it's a little ground cover. It gets to about uh, 30 centimetres. And what I love about it is it looks like a prostrate eucalypt. Yes, it's got juvenile it foliage. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And there are no... Well, Dean Nicole, the Australia's leading eucalypt expert, probably knows of a prostrate eucalypt somewhere <laughs> growing in, somewhere in Australia. But I love this because it's it's a similar flower, similar foliage colour, the, the sort it's of grey green. green. It's very yeah. limey at the moment. I think it needs to go into the garden. Um, and they, they send up little... Um, it's a multi-stemmed little ground cover, and so it sends up little shoots, and you put it in the ground, and it just grows. It just keeps going. They've got beautiful um, indigo-coloured flowers that come that will pop up in springtime. Such an easy little plant to grow. But, I yeah, I love this because it looks like a ground cover eucalypt. Mm. Um, and, yeah, it's drought-tolerant, grows well under trees as well, and... Just a beautiful little plant. Yeah, it is. It's a charming thing. Mm. And if they could only just settle on a name, it'd be useful. Yes, it'd be <laughs> handy. So the other Veronica looks totally different. It's a small shrub, and it gets to about 
a meter, I would say. Very, very fine foliage. I would have said it looked like something that belonged in the Daisy family. It yeah, doesn't, yeah. That's what it, it looks like. It doesn't yeah. look like a Veronica. And this one's at all. got these juicy water shoots on it yeah. as well. Um, it, this one I love because. It's one of those plants that doesn't look like a native. You get mm. people going, oh, natives are all brown and they're really Yeah, they're ugly prickly and, and sticky yeah. And, yeah, and, and yeah. And, you, and I shove a Veronica arenaria in their face and it's called, whose common name is cottage speedwell. So it's a, it's a little cottage plant. Yeah. So lime green new foliage and dark green um, fine It old, would like actually blend foliage. really well into that sort of cottagey yep. style of yeah. gardening. Yep. Uh, gets, the ideal. Gets whooshed around in the, in the wind um, when when it picks up and uh, like the the Veronica perfoliata, they've got the bright indigoy mm. purpley blue flowers and they're even brighter on this species, the Arenaria species. Um, I yeah, I just love it and I can't wait to put it in the garden. I bought a few of them from the mm. Growing Friends sale and I'm going to clump them and yeah, I can't a wait lot of those plants grow. do look good that way. Yeah, make a little drift of them. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, so it is. It's one of those in in the category of unlikely natives, and yeah. I just love it. Yeah, well, people do get these sort of preconceived ideas about groups of plants, which yeah, you know, drives me nuts. You know, and and even coming down to genus level, you know, if you say jasmine to somebody, people immediately think of some pinky, whitey, smelly climber mm. thing, but they don't realise there's little tiny mounding jasmines, there's shrubby jasmines, there's plenty that don't have perfume, lots of yellow flowered ones. Yeah. Um, we need to educate people about this stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's right, exactly. And, to, and, you know, I wouldn't have picked that for a Veronica, I have to say. It, yeah. it was the last thing I would have picked it as, just looking at its foliage, because yeah. I'm not familiar with that Because t- the foliage on these two Veronicas, if you jump on our Facebook page, they're totally different, mm. the foliage. One has eucalypt foliage and one has fine, bright green, um, thin foliage. I might add, it'll be interesting to see what people decide when it does come down to names. because they do seem to be waxing one way and then the other sometimes mm. with some of these things. So whether Veronica becomes the overall genus for the whole group again, as it was way back. Um, I know the botanists in, in New Zealand on one level can see the sense of this whole thing, but they're going down kicking and screaming <laughs> nonetheless because Hebe is such a iconic genus yeah. in New yeah. Zealand, to have it just sort of suddenly sunk into the old world Veronica. Yeah. I mean, for us, it's not such a big deal because we haven't got such a huge number of species involved and most of ours were in different genera anyway. Mm. Uh, but if they're all going to be lumped back into Veronica, that's going to be a huge thing. Yeah. Yeah, so... I don't know where they're at with it. Whether they do, are they doing genetic... They'd be doing genetic testing on it, wouldn't yeah, they? Yeah, well, yeah, that's the problem. That's why we're getting so many name changes mm. at the moment because people are, in fact, you know, counting genes and chromosomes and doing all that stuff and yeah. realising things were and they're more gonna close or less. And everything is related and let's just call every single plant the, the same genus name. <laughs> <laughs> there would be a certain simplicity about that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, could confuse people as well, you know. Yeah, good. Yes, there's my... Veronica mm. Gigantia and my Veronica. They, they still need. I wish uh, they, uh, genetic testing and um, taxonomy is amazing, but they still do need to take into account old school morpho- morphological traits of plants yeah. because these two, the flowers are are the same. Yeah, so when you, you look can at see them. The, the resemblance. But yeah, yes, if you and it is the foliage that distinguishes them. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, if you can't pick a plant in the in the wild for what genus it belongs to, or at least get it down to family level, mm. then there's something wrong with the way they're naming them because yeah. otherwise it's not a useful tool. No. You know, and that is becoming one of the issues. I mean, they're, they're, they're swapping things around in families. They're swapping things around in genera. Um, 
They've just recently apparently cut up Nothophagus. Yeah, they uh, have. It starts with L, the yeah, new one. Yeah, Logostrobus or something. But I'm thinking, well, I could see the relationship between what is still Nothophagus and the other couple of different genera that they've now decided to make because they all have the same sort of seeds and flowers and things and they have a similar leaf shape, albeit sometimes bigger or smaller. Um what is the use of cutting them up into several genera if I can't work out which genera they belong to mm. now? Whereas mm. I, could, I could tell you it was an Othophagus, yep. even if it was a species I hadn't come across before. In most cases, I'd say, oh, yes, it's an Othophagus. Mm. I can see that. But I don't know what the new three or four genera really had to tell the difference between them anymore. Yeah. So, yeah. You yeah, need so a, you, yeah, you need your own little genetic testing machine to yeah. carry out with you. When Which you're is totally impractical. It well, at least at this point in time. Maybe <laughs> yes. in the future. You may never know. Yes, you don't know with these things. Have a little app on your phone. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. Yes, I do love that app that people are starting to use where it's supposed to help you identify plants. It's, it is somewhat limited. I have yes. to say, I've had a few people who've used it. I haven't bothered to put it on my phone. I think you have to pay for it. People keep tagging me on Facebook when they pop up every now yeah. and then. They're like, oh, you can recognise your plants. And I'm like, yeah. well, yeah, <laughs> they're no. not very reliable. No, they aren't. And they might pin something down to hellebore, but that's about as far as they're going to go. Yeah, or oak. Yeah, or oak. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're for the Northern Hemisphere, most of them. Yeah. So in Australian, for Australian flora, they're not that handy. But also I would say for Australian gardens in general, they're probably not that handy either. Uh, no, I, I think know. they've got a long way to go before they yeah, become they a serious do. tool, yeah. I have to say. Yeah. Anyhow. It's a, it's a nice idea, though. Oh, look, the, the, the concept oh, is good. Oh, it's a great concept. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but they, it needs a lot more effort and it needs a lot more things loaded into it before mm. it's going to be a particularly useful tool. And everybody's trying to do stuff. I mean, uh, I use um, the plant list a bit, which is Q's list of plant names and things, mm. which they've stopped uh, managing, it's just oh, sitting there. As, yeah, it's just sitting there as a um, a, a, resource. a thing, a resource. Yeah, and they've just started a new one called Plants of the World Online, uh, but it's got so far to go that it's not actually really a very useful tool yet. Mm. And I went in to do some research on it the other day about cornices because I hold the National Cornice Collection for Plant Trust and I knew there'd been a few name changes and stuff and they'd loaded up some images that weren't the right images on the new one. So I emailed them and pointed out that there was an image in their cornices and as a National Cornice Collection holder, I think I have some knowledge of these things, (laughs) um, uh, that wasn't the right plant. Uh, I did get a response and they got back to me to say that a lot of these Images have been downloaded from files that people have given them that they've assured them are, in fact, correct, uh, mm. and they haven't had any of their botanists checking the pictures. Uh. So they've now decided that because I pointed out that there was a glaring mistake in Cornus that they won't upload any more pictures until they're actually Well, they need out. to know that because they probably didn't know that. So yeah, well, they yeah, probably yeah, didn't. Exactly. They went yeah. through and, and, you know, it only took somebody like me who actually knows the genus reasonably mm. well to pick up the mistake that was made, uh, and then it sort of starts ringing alarm bells. Yeah. But now I feel a bit bereft because their old one is still there but it's not being managed or, or updated uh, and I did find a mistake on that some time ago and I and that's how I found out it wasn't being managed because I sent them an email to say look there's a mistake in you Krafia uh, uh, and they said oh we're not managing that anymore mm. so it's just a sort of a dead thing that just sits there uh, and it's their new 
plants of the world online that they're getting going, but it's just not anywhere near ready to be a really serviceable and useful tool yet. Mm, That's not helpful. No, it's not helpful. I use Google Images when I'm not sure what a plant is. So I go into Google Images and I start typing any details I have of this plant that I've picked up. So I was in... um, I was in Malaysia last year and there was this beautiful um, plant with this huge inflorescence of red flowers. It was yeah. about a foot, this, yeah. fl- this inflorescence. Oh, wow. Sort of conical shape, tiny, tiny red flowers and the butterflies were all over it. And I, I had no idea what it was. I was I'm an yeah. Australian plant nut. Yeah, so <laughs> this was, was completely outside of this world. Of you. I had yeah. no idea. So I started typing into Google any information I had. So I was you know, in Malaysia, Langkawi, flowering in March or whenever it was. Red flowers, um, large inflorescence, and if, you know maybe the, a general term of the leaf shape. If yeah. I could hit search, and it comes up with a ton of red flowering plants. But what you can do is search through until you find, you know, f- flick through a few pages. If you put in enough information of, you know, it's where it's growing, be in there, yeah. and it was in, I've done it a few times, and it, and it's worked. So. It's not the most scientific way to find out a plant name, but you can often get it down to at least, you know, the genus. Sometimes you can find the exact plant on there. Yeah. Um, and I did find it. It was a clerodendron. Oh, um, right. Mm. It was absolutely beautiful. I want to just take it home with me. <laughs> and it's probably Customs not here. Customs wouldn't have liked it, yeah. though. <laughs> and it's probably not here. Uh, and if it is here, it'll be up in far north Queensland yeah, or something. Yeah, there is. There's a couple. Um, at Melbourne Zoo have a couple of the blue flowering clerodendrons yeah. around, and there is one in the butterfly, one of the more tropical ones in the butterfly house. Yeah. Which I grow a couple of the Himalayan it. ones um, okay. that are really cold hardy. Uh, so I've got three species of Clerodendrum, I think, that I, I just, grow. Are they, are, they, are they good plants, like oh, hardy yeah. plants? Yeah, they're good hardy plants. The only trouble with the, all three of them, from the home gardener's perspective, I guess, is that they all sucker. And people get nervous about plants that sucker. Yeah. I quite They're like They're not plants. an invasive suckering plant, though. They're easy to pull out. Yeah. Uh, so I don't, and I don't see them. And they back. You can prune them back really hard. Well, two of them can actually be treated as herbaceous perennials. Yes. You can cut them back to ground level and start them off again every yep. year. And that's what this red one in Malaysia was like. It was a herbaceous sort of plant. Yeah. You could, you know... Slash it off at the bottom. Mm. Be easy to it'd be easy to look. It's after. a great genus. I love. Oh, it's a beautiful. And nearly genus. all of them have leaves that smell like peanut butter. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. If, if you, you rub crush the leaves, it, yeah, just rub the leaves oh, um, right. and smell it. Some people find the smell offensive because it's not like sweet peanut butter. It's a slots. You could almost think that it was well, certainly unsweetened peanut butter or maybe even rancid peanut butter. <laughs> uh, but it has a distinctly peanut buttery yeah. smell about the leaves, and that's actually one of the characteristics of the of the genus, which is quite useful. Oh right, so well there you go. So you can crush the leaves if you are googling, say you know smelly leaves or yeah, smelly yeah. foliage or something. Mm. Put that into your. Google of course, search. describing a smell is always risky because everybody has a different idea. Yes, of what yes, it's very like. subjective. Yeah, it is very subjective. So you've got to be a bit careful. Uh, but and it's actually funny because you can convince people what things smell like because <laughs> I, I use that clerodendron all the time and I say to people now you smell that and tell mm. me what you think it smells like and people will come up with a whole pile of different mm. ideas and I'll say no 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 it smells of peanut butter and they go oh yes it does <laughs> every single one of them will say yeah. oh, yes it does even if that wasn't what they thought it smelled like yeah. when they there's a Lamandra confertifolia, the ruby genosa yeah. subspecies, that has a very, everyone thinks that has a different sort of smell. Yeah. I think it smells like acetone flavoured banana lollies. <laughs> acetone flavoured banana lollies. It's got that, it smells like a bit banana but then it's got that, there's some sort of chemical thing, yeah. and I love the smell of it. And in the afternoon on a hot summer's day, it, 
it's got a quite sweet fragrance. It doesn't. It's not so acetone. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say that doesn't sound like a. No, you tell, I love. I love asking people what they think it smells like because everyone will come up with something yeah. different. And then when you say, "Well, I think it's this," they go, "Oh yeah, yeah, I reckon it sounds like yeah. that too. It smells yeah. like that too." Yeah, look, I'm sure that its scent can be very suggestive. Yeah. Um, I remember years ago, there's a shrub I grow, Osmanthus delavii, which I quite like the smell of. It's got a nice love spring Osmanthus. perfume. Yeah, there's some of the Osmanthus perfumes are. Gorgeous. Oh, beautiful. And I think it was Graham Stuart Thomas or one of the English writers who was who's always very opinionated said he didn't really like Osmanthus Delavay because it smells like the old fashioned coconut suntan cream we used to rub <laughs> in ourselves in the sixties. And that's specific. That's specific. And I went and smelt it and do you know what? I could smell suntan cream. <laughs> So it's probably not quite as nice as I thought it was. Oh, <laughs> damn. Yeah, yes, it reminded me of getting sand kicked in my face and things oh. like that, you know. <laughs> so, um, yes, yeah, so it is. It's very suggestive. It is very suggestive. All right, we better go on with We something. had, yes. we had. Now I think you've got another plant there. I brought in one Chloe. more plant. It's, um, it's something from the Proteaceae family, so related to Banksias and Grevilleas. It's called Lamatia or Lamatia, however you want yeah. to pronounce it, uh, Silifolia. Common name is the wild parsley bush. I think most of the time it's just known as its genus name, which is Lamatia. Very, very varied species in their foliage. Mm. Um, There's a few in the Gondwana garden at Cranbourne Gardens, and they they prolifically um, self-seeded this year and started germinating everywhere. So it's a good, and it's a beautiful plant, so it's a good Mm. problem to have, and they're easy to pull out, so we thin them out. But we also grew some in the nursery, and they all came up with very, very leaf shapes, which was really cool to watch. Same generation, yeah. seeds all from the one plant. Yeah. Yes. And it was incredibly varied. So it'd be really so interesting to see them grow out. Are we talking about hybridity or are we talking about variation within the species, do you think? Variation within the species. Yeah. Yeah. I, if It'd be interesting to see what the flowers look like. Yeah. I'd say the flowers will be the same. I think it's just variation in the yeah. leaves. Yeah. But you don't know. Um, so this one here, that the growing friends, um, they managed to get hold of some extras because they seeded, uh, they germinated so prolifically. Um, this is a really fine-leaved one, compound leaf. It sort of looks like a miniature, you know, about if a Grevillea robusta had a, a yeah. leaf that was about one inch, it kind of looks like that. Yeah, yeah it's um, got that sort of, it's certainly got a proteaceae look about yeah, it. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. certainly yeah. picked that one for what uh, family it belongs to. And they've in. got that proteaceae flower too. This is yeah. a beautiful cream, cream flower on this one. Um, and they get to about one and a half to two metres, so it's a really nice medium shrub. Mm. They prune really well. This one's already got a couple of, it's, it's a couple of leaders coming up from the bottom, so I'm going to keep it nice and bushy. I'll, um, I'll prune it, tip prune mm. it when I put it in. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful little plant. And sort of um, ready coloured, ready purpley coloured stems as well. Um, very tough. Yeah. Very, very They're tough. Pretty little well. things. There's, yeah. And there's some nice species of it in Tasmania. Yes. Some the, very nice um, ones that come from the hills in Tasmania. The, what's the um, tinctorina? Uh, tinctorina, yes. Yeah, and they have fine leaf forms of that and coarser yeah. leaf forms of that. And, I think and it must just be variation within the species of the genus mm. Lamatia that they all vary in their leaf yeah. morphology. Which must have driven the early taxonomists nuts. Yes, it must have. <laughs> I, should, I should jump on... Um, it was the Australian Plant Name Index, mm. APNI, yeah. and see if there has been a lot of movement of the lamatia species because they do vary. And it would have, yeah, it. 
Well, it's like some plants that have juvenile, then adult forms. Yeah. I mean, there's many uh, examples of where the juvenile form was actually put in a different genus yeah. uh, to the adult form because they hadn't seen it grow through yeah. the stages, so they assumed that they had two completely different plants. So, yes, yes, it can be quite a pitfall. Yes, for, it can be quite for, a pitfall. Mm. But, mm. yeah, cute little plant. Very yep. cute little plant. You are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. We're running through until 9.15, so if you uh, want the opportunity to jump on the phones and give us a call, now would be the time to do it. That number to speak to the team, 94190155, or to have a chat to Doug on the outside line, 94198377. Stephen, we've got a couple more plants All to right, get yes, through with you. All right, yes, we probably should do that. Um, now is the time of the flowering quince. Uh, Conomalies japonica or Conomalies speciosa or what the hell any of them are now. Uh, most of them are hybrid forms and are probably crosses between the two species. Um, and you can get them from pure white. So I've got one here that's a lovely dead white one called Navalis. And I've got a little single red one here, which I'm not quite sure what the name of it is. And that's part of the problem with some of these plants. They sort of get around as the red one. Mm. <laughs> um, well, they also come in that bright pinky Yes, there's that really pinky colours yeah. And there's one called Apple Blossom Which is actually Mohini Which is pink and white mm. Which is rather charming uh, I've got one called Peach Melba Which I actually take the uh, uh, claim to fame Of having actually named Because a grower was growing this thing And it was supposedly a sport from his nursery And he was selling it as Double Cream Or some damn silly name And I said, oh, you can't sell it as that, it's not double cream at something else and he said well you think of a name uh, and so I came up with Peach Melbu because it's a double white but as the flowers age they go apricot oh lovely and it often has a little tiny raspberry spot down inside the flower so I thought cream raspberries and peach mm. peach melba uh, and, and it has an Australian connection as well yep. yes. so, so we've named it peach melba Beautiful. I don't think there's actually a registration body that looks after the names of flowering <laughs> quinces. So, so it hasn't been properly registered in any way, any way shape, or form. But the conomalies are great plants. I mean, they're indestructible. They come up from the bottom, so they make really good um, screens or hedges. Um, they're really good in a, in, a, in a sort of country farmy sort of garden around the veggie garden and things like that. That's because, where you see them. Yeah, and they, they sort of have that sort of look about them like fruit trees and other things. So they sort of blend into that productive style of gardening very well. And you can trim them up as a hedge. Um, there's a lovely hedge of one of the pink ones down at... Um, Funnily enough, Dame Nellie Melba's place. <laughs> um, speaking of people of fame and singers. Mm. Uh, and um, so they hedge up quite well and they flower in sort of the depths of winter and they're very cheery when they flower. And many of the single forms will produce a quince-type fruit, uh, which you can make an outrageously good jelly from. Uh, my grandmother used to make what she called japonica jelly um, <laughs> and we used to fight over jars of it. It was <laughs> fantastic. Uh, so the fruit is actually usable um, and because it's very twiggy, it makes a very good little uh, small bird habitat plant I as was well. going to say that the eastern, my neighbour has one and I can see it from the laundry window and the eastern spine bills yeah. have been all over it oh, and they it's love so it. beautiful. Yeah, yeah they, there's pl- adequate nectar obviously yeah. for the birds to see it as a useful source. Yeah. Uh, and it's flowering at a time of the year that makes it particularly useful. Um, and, I mean, you couldn't kill them with a bulldozer. I mean, no. they are such tough shrubs, um, which is actually one of their downfalls, in fact, because they're so hardy, they're almost impossible to eradicate <laughs> if you get a big clump of it in the garden. But in the right spot, I think they're 
very useful plants. And I think they're coming back into popularity again. I'm getting a lot more people sort of asking about them and considering okay. using them. Uh, and I've certainly recommended them as sort of country farm garden hedge screen plants for people. Mm. Uh, and quite a few people have taken me up on the idea. And they're just so lovely at this time of the year. So Canomalies, which is spelt with a CH, um, because uh, apparently in Latin you're supposed to pronounce your CHs as a, as a kurt, not a ch. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. so it's conomalies. Conomalies. And, uh, and uh, Anthus, not chimenanthus. Kellen Coey? Yeah, no, because that's a K. No, oh, no, no Coey, C-H-O-E. C-H-O-E. Yeah. yeah, so, yeah, Kellen mm. Coey, yeah. I'm really glad you brought in the, the flowering quince because it's one of those plants that it's, you ignore it when it's not in flower. Yeah, it's just there. You don't see it, but when it is in flower, you get, I get people... There's certain plants that you every time you know that that time of year you're going to get someone sending you a photo asking a question. What is this plant? Yeah. Because I haven't noticed it before, and then all of a sudden it's flowering and it looks amazing. Yeah. Um, the gymea lilies often get oh, when yes, they're flowering. People go, oh, what are those? You know, yes, you know, yes. they never notice it, and then when it flowers, you notice it, and that's one of those. Mm. It's flowering in, in so many gardens at the moment, mm. and, and, they and are people the, don't know what they are. They're one of those great old-fashioned plants. They've yeah. been around in Australia since the 1850s oh, or gosh, possibly yes. earlier. Yes. Um, and because they're so tough, I mean, you'll find old dumb flowering quinces in uh, farm gardens where the farmhouse is gone. Yes. Yeah, and, and the plant is still standing there. <laughs> There's with an the Aracaria bidwilli eye yeah. left over, the yeah. Belladonna lilies. Yeah, the Belladonna lilies yeah. and these will <laughs> yeah. be left over. So that, they'll still be there. Um, and it's interesting for a plant that's so tough, it's never shown any weedy potential. Yeah, no, it's it never hasn't. sort of go, gone out of into control. the wild no. or anything like that. So for a plant that's as tough as Canomalies is, it amazes me that it's actually shown no weed potential mm. at all. Um, yeah, you don't see it in no. creek lines or anything. No, so you know you see certainly a lot of other flowering things like prunuses and apples mm. and all sorts of things that have gone vaguely feral. Uh, but I've never seen a Canomalies in the wild. Yeah. So, uh, so they're a good, safe plant to use. Um, and, I mean, because they're so prunable and, and manageable, I mean, if you had a hedge of it and somebody's cement truck drove through the middle of it and crushed it to the ground, you could prune it all down and within a year or two it'll all be back again. <laughs> yeah. You know, so it's just such an amenable group of plants mm. and you can get, you know, as I said, from white through to really quite strong scarlety reds so there's a colour there for pretty well everybody. And it's got that edible value without much effort. Yeah, well, you just you collect can. the fruit if yeah. you want to do that. Yeah. And uh, there are a, a subgroup of people out there now that won't plant anything that doesn't have edibility, even if it means they get four berries a year. <laughs> But as long as they can eat it, they'll plant it. <laughs> yeah, so Utilitarian, it's yeah, called. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, you know, really, when you think about it, some of those plants are just so completely irrational oh, just no. because they've got a vaguely edible fruit on them. Um, but nonetheless, if I can tell people it's edible, they'll buy it. Yep. <laughs> so there's a whole group of people doing that. Value for money. Yeah, and I think quince jelly is just gorgeous. And I think this particular type of quince, the flowering quince, actually makes a nicer jelly than normal quince jelly. Mm. It's got more tang. Oh, right. I like it. Uh, I don't, I'm not a man. Well, here you I am saying I'm not a... sickly sweet. Yeah. You and, need tang. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah, so good jellies and jams have a bit of a bite to them. They so do. Damson plum. Yep. Has got to be one of the... Great jams, because yep. it's really bitey. Mm. Uh, and then this japonica jelly or, or flowering quince jelly is another one. Uh, so there's sort of a group of those plants that have that really bitey fruit that you couldn't actually use off the tree. Mm. But if you cook it up and put plenty of sugar in it, yeah. uh, it, it turns into something really special. Mm. 
So. Most of the Australian bush tucker foods are like that. You've yes. got to add so much sugar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then most of them you're only eating tiny quantities yeah, anyway. Yeah, you can only get three or four fruits off it. Yeah. <laughs> yes, but, oh, but it's a native plant and you yes. can eat it. Yeah. Yes, yes. there but you go. I laugh when people say to me, oh, what, what can we plant that's local and edible? And I say, well, you put in mountain pepper and you live off roadkill. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, let's go to our next caller. We have uh, Rose in Thornbury. Good morning, Rose. Oh, good morning, everyone. Um, I just I wanted to talk about Pepper Tree Place in Coburg. I'm not sure if you're aware of Pepper Tree Place. Yes, yes, I've, I have mentioned them quite often with, Actually, with their yes, events. I thought you had, but look, they're at risk of closing down. I'm not sure if oh, you're are they? aware of that. Yeah, so um, I went to a community meeting there yesterday and um, they want to close it down by November. So oh, goodness. Pretty quick decision. They've already closed the cafe, which was open on Saturday, and they've got they've reduced their, the staff to one person now. There was two people. Right. But it's a fantastic hub for the community, and it's just a, amazing. It's really mainly run by volunteers. Mm. And they have a food swap there. They have a fantastic nursery. There's a lady, Mary, that runs it. She's a volunteer. She's there four days a week. Oh. Are they closed. lacking volunteers? Is that why they're closing it? No, it's something to do with... We're not actually really sure. We're going to be trying to... That's that one of our aims, is to try and find out why. The council mm. don't know either. It's actually run by Uniting, which is, I think, an um, amalgamation with... Kildonan and yes, it, United yeah, Care or something. Yes. But yeah, so um, look, we want people to go to the Facebook page. We're going to try and get some um, action happening. And, yeah, we, we just want as, as much support as we can to keep the place open. Right. So well, we I'm really not... don't know how we're going to do it, but we first of all, we, our aim is to find out what what's their purpose on doing this. Like, what are they going to do? I mean... We're hoping that they haven't already decided to sell and, you know, build more apartments because there's enough around there. They need that space there for people to relax, chill out and enjoy. And meet. Oh, exactly. Exactly. Um, so so while, they're, while they're in this state of flux, is the nursery open? Or yes, it? it's still open, yep. Um, open. Yeah, maybe, maybe you could be running a petition or something from the nursery as well. Yeah, we will be, and we, we will be at um, the Coburg Farmers Market, which is actually held next door at the primary school. Oh, good idea. It's, it's on Saturday, every Saturday. It's a fabulous farmers market, um, and we will have a stall there next week, and we will be talking to people, getting people to sign petitions. But there'll be there's a there'll be a Facebook page, so if people who are interested could look it up and try and get involved too because the more people power, the better I think chances are of saving it. Just like that's what happened with Collingwood um, Convent and that area. Yes, mm, yes. Yeah, we're just, we're pretty in the dark about why. Um, so we need to kind of establish that. And just keep so, 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 yeah, can, can you organise, um, you know, a formal meeting with the owners or something and try well, and get some yeah. info? That's what our meeting was about yesterday, about who's going to do that. And we've got um, a few, yeah, we've got lots of volunteers doing all sorts of things. But 
we're still really, you know, that's the main objective is to find out why why they want to close it and um, what their aim is and we're going to try and rally to keep it and make it better because, look, there's a lot of people that don't know about, about it and they should. It's probably... Mm. Well, you used to run fabulous workshops there as well. That's right, yeah, I've done some workshops there myself with the gardener, Diana Cotter. Um, she does the Espalier workshop, but there's also pruning demonstrations and gardening and the school uses it and there's a kindergarten that comes to use it. It's a brilliant space. It could absolutely thrive. I mean, we just need to try and make that happen. Yeah, yeah. Well, keep us informed, Rose. I will. I'll ring you next week. Yeah, that yeah. would be great. Okay. We'd, we'd love to okay. follow that through. Okay. No worries, Pam. Okay, okay. thanks a lot. Thanks Bye. Bye. Oh, dear. Yes. Nothing, nothing stays the same, does it? No, no, even the good things, unfortunately. Mm, yes, very unfortunately. Mm. And, and, and I thought it was being extremely well supported. I mean, I've actually gone there myself yeah. when, when they've been open and, and having an open day and, and there's been a crowd of people there. Mm. So the, um, It sounds like they've got enough people to help run it. Yes. Just yeah. wonder what, what could possibly, who knows, probably cost-cutting somewhere. Like. Yes, yes. Yeah, probably. Mm. Most of these things are about cost. Yeah, that's right. Goodness me. Have we covered all your plans? No, we've got one left, which oh, we've got time go to deal timing. with. Because um, this deserves a bit of yeah, the bright man's ears, yeah, uh, or angels' trumpets, and I love them. They're oh, a cool plant. They are really fantastic. I mean, you regularly have somebody in the press whip up some sort of thing about their 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 potential drug usage because they are a plant that was used in South America by the shamans to get in touch with the gods. Uh, so <laughs> how would they do that? Yes, yeah. Well, I'm not giving any recipes over yet. Um, so look, it is a plant that is toxic, so you do have to be aware of that. And every so often, some young males will have a crack at this and <laughs> end up doing nasty things to themselves. Uh, it always seems to be young men who do these things. They're, they're, I don't think their brains catch up with their bodies, most of them. Um, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't be growing Brugman's ears in the garden. I mean, if somebody's silly enough to ingest it, that's called natural selection. <laughs> um, and the only Brugman's ear that I can grow in our cold climate up at Macedon uh, so far, I mean, there is one that, as far as I know, hasn't come into Australia that comes from very high altitudes in Bolivia uh, that I should be able to grow if I could get it, but it doesn't seem to be here. But this one is Brugmansia sanguinea, uh, the red-flowered angel's trumpet. And if we don't get too heavy a frost, it flowers all winter. Mm. I mean, mm. the frost will knock it about a bit, but then it shoots back again. And I've got two plants of it in the garden at home. This, the normal red form, which is really sort of red, with sort of that goes into green as it goes up to the calyx. Um, and there's also a yellow form of it as well. And I've got one of each growing in the garden at home. And if you've got more than one form, they will actually cross-pollinate, and I get seedlings that pop up around the garden. <laughs> um, and I've grown some of the seedlings on, and they all invariably seem to end up as being either the red or the yellow. I was hoping I might find a a form that actually is between or different. Yeah. But every time I've raised a seedling up and let it go, it's ended up being one or t'other. It's never okay. been any different. That's interesting. Uh, it must be dominant. Or... You know, I mm. don't know. I don't know what it is, but it is strange. You'd think when you're crossing a yellow one with a, a red one, you'd get something in between at mm. times. Would, wouldn't you? Never seems to happen. Uh, certainly not in Keep my Keep trying. You might get an orange one day. Yeah, well, I'd like that or, mm. you know, or something else. You know, a completely green one might be fun. <laughs> uh, 
beware, though, they do grow to quite a substantial bush. Uh, I mean, you can cut them back, but when you do cut them back, like most things that are, are it'll vigorous, go up. it'll just go up again, and, and they'll grow even faster. Um, and my plants, which have been in, I suppose, about seven or eight years now, must be four metres tall by five metres wide. Mm. Mm-hmm. So we're talking a fairly big yeah. It's plant. a large shrub. A very large yes. shrub. Yeah. It's a shrub with delusions of grandeur, as <laughs> I call something that's almost verging on a tree. Yeah. Um, and it looks so exotic and so out of place in my Macedon garden in the middle of winter. It's sort of very eye-catching. Mm. Um, and I think they're great plants. Do I, you I prune like, them much? Do I they haven't prune well? They do prune well. Uh, you can cut the bilio out of them if you want to and they'll yeah, come back again uh, and they'll still flower again the following year uh, if you prune them at the right time um, but they will still fight their way up to being the same size again so you really are better to allow them ample space to do their thing mm. uh, and then with mine I just go through and cut some of the older wood out every so often when it gets really twiggy and and not terribly productive anymore uh, but yeah I think they're a wonderful group of plants and there's lots of hybrids and forms of them getting around now um, and they've become quite popular you can get variegated leaf ones you can get apricot flowered ones mauvey purple flowered ones there's so many different brugmansias mm. out there now um, uh, in fact there was a book written just on the genus uh, by Which a is a Sydney fabulous guy. book. Oh, that would be a beautiful book. It is. It's got the most oh, wonderful it's pictures and things mm. in it. Yeah, so it's a great book. And uh, Gil Teague at Floral Legium Garden Bookshop up at Roselle in Sydney was the publisher of it. And it's a it's just a lovely coffee table book to have, <laughs> yeah. actually, even if you don't grow a Brugmansia. It's a, yeah. it's a huge time. It's heavy. I'm yeah. warning you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You could actually use it as a doorstop. Yeah, is uh, it a super large genus? Or no, it's not It's not a particularly large genus. Because I only know the Sanguinea species. Yeah, no, there's there's... A handful of wild species involved. Uh, there's a lot of hybrids that have been produced over the years, so mm. the genus is large-ish by the fact that there's a lot of hybrids out there. But the book, even though it's a great big tome, it, it goes into all sorts of stuff. It goes into the cultural background of the plant in, in Peru and Bolivia. Uh, it goes into cultivation, propagation, disease and pest control. Right. Um, I mean, it's the complete tome on the genus. Yeah. Uh, and that's why it's such a big book, even though the... And it's got a complete list of all cultivar names that River given. Right. To different Brugmansias, and that's, <laughs> that'd that's be pages of yeah, I think there's something like 900. That'd be half the tome. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's a really good book. But the plants themselves are fantastic. I wish I could grow the more cold sensitive ones. I tried to grow the normal old fashioned double white one for mm. years and I had it in a big pot and every autumn I'd whip it in onto the veranda <laughs> uh, and it'd look really scruffy through the winter and then I'd bring it out again for the spring and off it went. But one year I wasn't quite quick enough. Oh. And that's all it took. Yes. yes. One frost. One decent frost yeah. and it just ate it off down to the ground and that was the end of it. <laughs> yeah. uh, but this one, it just leaps back again the whole time and it's just a really fantastic mm. plant. Um, and funnily enough, it doesn't grow well in the tropics. This one. Okay. Whereas oh. they can grow all the other ones and, yeah, and do yeah. well with them. But uh, I've got a mate up in Mackay in Queensland, and he grows Brugmansias and sells a whole range of them, but he can't grow this one. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So it I go, grows very well in Melbourne. Yeah. yeah. And I go, nye, nye, nye. <laughs> I can grow Sanguinea, <laughs> no, 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 no. which unfortunately isn't perfumed like some of the others. But nonetheless, it's a, it's a really interesting plant. Excellent. So yeah. I love them. Chloe, we, we've just got time. We've had a listener ring in from the outside wants line. to know a little bit more about you. She's enjoyed listening to you this morning. <laughs> Thank you very much, Lois, for your kind words. Um, I'm a plant nerd, let's just say that. <laughs> and Thank I God love my that. Australian flora. Um, your question was, you have um, possum damage to 
um, your kumquats, some kumquat stems. You put Vaseline on it and wrapped it about two months ago. Is this okay? Will it help? Um, it wouldn't be the first thing I'd do to a kumquat yeah. stem. I'd be more tempted just to cut it off, unless it was the main stem of the of the tree. Yeah. Um, any sort so of damage. The Vaseline's not going to help it, it heal. Would keep, no, it would keep it quite um, moist. Yes. And um, that's why they use it on babies' bottoms. Yes. <laughs> um, and which would lead to potential um, fungal problems for yeah. the for the plant, um, which isn't great. I I would. Prune it off would be the first thing because citrus respond very, very well to any sort of pruning, especially hard prunes. Mm. Um, I don't know what you've wrapped it in. If you've wrapped it in plastic, probably take the plastic off um, as soon as the show finishes. (laughs) Um, If you've wrapped it in something else, probably take that off too and let it air dry. Let let um, what's been eaten, let it heal um, and let it sort of develop a scab. It's like when you keep a Band-Aid on for too long. Yeah. It's not good. And you don't put butter on a burn. No, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, hopefully the possum doesn't damage it again. I haven't heard of possums damaging stems of they'll citrus. They'll eat the fruit. They'll eat the... They'll yeah. eat the yeah. I know they eat the leaves. When I, was yep. at, when I was at Melbourne Zoo and we were growing, you know, we you know farmed citrus um, citrus trees for the orchard swallowtail butterflies. Um, we had to keep them in possum in possum-proof um, cages. Yeah, because you, you got a lot of possums at the Melbourne Zoo. Yeah, it's like a hot spot. It's, yeah. like, a food, it's like a food court for them. Yeah, mm. yeah. Um, yeah so the possums do eat the, f- the foliage and the, and the mm. fruit, but I didn't know about the stems. So prune it off if you can and keep an eye on it. It may not be a possum eating. Well, it. I was going to say it could be a rat. Yeah. Because yeah, rats will have a go at the bark on things. Yeah, that's what I was mm. thinking. Yeah. And if it's down low, it could even be a rabbit. Yeah. Yes, well, rabbits and hares will have they a They will at the have bark. a nibble at the bark too. Yeah. yeah, so keep an eye on it. Sit out there with a spotlight at night time and see what yeah, happens. Yeah, that's a good, good yeah. suggestion. Yeah, you'll, you'll creep the neighbours out. For <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I have to say that we've run out of time for another oh, week. How does that happen? Um, oh, it does. It just time happens every week, doesn't it? Fun. But, uh, of course, that doesn't mean we won't be back next week. Um so uh, get out in the garden, everyone. It's, it's, it's time. Spring is definitely on the way. And, yes, um, and look, lots to don't do. forget if you're planting deciduous trees, you need to get your bare-rooted trees in soon if you're going to do it. Yes, definitely. Don't leave it much longer. They'll be starting to move in the root systems. Yep, and don't worry if you haven't pruned your apple trees. Stephen and I haven't either. <laughs> that just shows how bad we are as horticulturalists, <laughs> yeah. basically. Do as we say, not as we do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I just didn't have time this year. Well, haven't had time thus far this year. There's been so much to do, and having been away for uh, six weeks during the early yeah, year. Yeah, it doesn't help, I got, does it? I got well behind this yeah. year on mm. the things I needed to but do. But the apple trees won't die because no, of no, not being pruned. Them, if I don't prune them at all this year, it won't be the end of the world. No, I it mean, won't I be. I can catch up again next year. Absolutely. Or I can do a good summer prune. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah summer so prune. I'm not worrying. Yeah, wait till summer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, a big thank you to, uh, to the team, but also to Liz and Doug, who've been handling all the phones this morning. As I mentioned, we will be back again 7.30 next Sunday morning. Until then, bye for now.